We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's going on, everybody? Just wanted to check in real quick to let you know what's going on in this podcast. The first thing you're going to hear is a Green with Envy quick hit that Will and I recorded this morning reacting to the Boston Celtics schedule drop. That's about 20 minutes long. And then I sit down with my buddy down here in Austin, Texas, who's a big Cleveland Cavaliers fan and big time music producer here. But he's also uh, rolling out a new business called Your Tale, which is actually really cool uh, for anybody that's trying to kind of document their life or into family trees and stuff like that. Really cool uh, video platform and uh, service that he's offering. So definitely stick around for that. Check the timestamps so you can skip around to whatever you want to hear. And with that, we're going to kick you to the intro music. Thanks, everybody. What up, what up? Welcome into another Green with Envy quick hit edition. Schedule dropped the other day, folks. Dropped yesterday, actually, as we're recording this. So we had to hop on here and give you some of our favorites. Joining me today to do all of that, my best friend, co-host, and coach of our podcast, one and only Greg Manakis. How you doing this morning? I'm good, man. I'm trying to figure out how many road trips we're taking this year. Yo, so that's going to be one of the questions that I wanted to get into. But if you're watching on YouTube, we're going to pull up the schedule here. We're going to kind of go through it. Let's just go through kind of month by month some things that that maybe jump out to us. So first and foremost, we got this up on the screen here. We're looking at October. We have our opening night, Greg, October 25th at the New York Knicks, followed up two days later by the Miami Heat coming into Boston. So a really spicy, great job by the NBA, really spicy first week for Celtics fans out there, of course. You know, opening night at MSG. That's always got a special feel. Let's throw a little uh, Chris Stapps Porzingis, hopefully, fingers crossed, into the mix here. That will spice things up a little bit. And then, of course, think back to two years ago. This was the first Emi Odoka's first game as a, as a head coach. A classic in New York. Goes into overtime. I believe Jalen Brown went off for about 46 points. Really kind of announcing kind of I'm here type game for him in that moment, even though the Celtics ended up falling in that one in overtime. But your initial thoughts opening up Madison Square Garden, following up with Jimmy Buckets coming to town. I love it, man. I I just think the Knicks over the past couple of years, although I don't root for the Knicks, I enjoy watching the Knicks. You know, so I think Celtics Knicks opening night couldn't ask for anything more. We get to get together probably with our guy, Matt Liptak. Um, So I would imagine... 
opening night. We won't be watching from afar. We won't be doing any like post post game reaction. We'll just be enjoying opening night, hanging out with our buddy, uh, talking about Celtics Knicks and just talking shit, which is what I'm I'm really excited for because we we haven't had that you know in a little bit. Well, this to is get the back thing, to just watching in person. This is the thing with the Knicks, right? And th- and this is then this goes for the Yankees in baseball, and this goes for you know the Jets or you know whoever else, whoever else is your rival. Sports is so much better when your rival's good and then you beat your rival. So I always feel mm-hmm. like you almost need to root for your, like, kind of, not not openly, but secretly root for your rival because then you want to be the one that takes them out. So anything yeah. Boston, New York, it's better. It's more electric when those two teams are good. So you throw that into Madison Square Garden. And then, like I said, Chris Dapps Porzingis revenge game, maybe. I mean, I know he's been back there since, obviously, that trade several years ago. But now when you add in the Boston, New York element, that elevates it to a whole other level. And then Miami. I mean, that's a game that I, I know there's going to be a lot read into that game. It's one game. But just early in the year, given the way, obviously, the Celtics season ended, that's going to be a game a lot of fans are going to have a lot of opinions on, even though it's the second game of the season. Yeah, you hope Porzingis will be healthy for that so we get a good feel for you know the 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 adjustments that the Celtics will make or you know potentially will make in a playoff series with them. But really, you just want to see the Celtics respond, you know, come out, compete, hopefully put a beat down on the heat um, in that game just to be like, you know what, like last year you got us, but it's going to be a different story this year. Hopefully we see Jalen Brown go off in in that game after he really, really struggled against the heat. Um, I would love to see Jalen go for 35 or just maybe 20, 25 and five with zero turnovers. That would be nice. I think the well-rounded game is the, is the, the approach there, right? Especially coming off uh, of that playoff run. All right. So let's keep it going here. Let's go into November. Now, November, Greg, November is kind of highlighted by this is when that midseason tournament starts. And Mm -hmm. we haven't talked about it too much on the show here. But right here, basically, this three straight Friday nights, Brooklyn, Toronto, Orlando, the 10th, the 17th, the 24th, followed up by their final pool round game here, the 28th against Chicago. Those are some of the highlights for uh, for the month of November. But give, give me some of your thoughts on this midseason tournament. Now that you're seeing it in schedule form, and now you kind of have to adjust that, yes, it's a regular season game, but also it's a midseason tournament game. Do you well, I excitement? saw that the Celtics were favorites to win this uh, midseason tournament. Yeah, I saw that as well, too. I don't really know how they figured that out, I guess based on the on the different groupings. But, you know, they, I mean, they're going to be one of the favorites to win the whole thing, so it shouldn't be that shocking. Yeah, I, I just think it's, it's important, even though – you know, it's the first year of this and like players might not be a hundred percent bought in if they end up in Las Vegas and there's like a, there's an electric atmosphere in Las Vegas when you're there. You know, if you go to NBA summer league, there's it, the stands are always full. I would love if, if the Celtics make it for us to go out to Las Vegas, if we can try to make it uh, for that. But I think that Anytime the Celtics can get big game experience and anytime this group, this new group without Marcus Smart with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown now, hopefully as the vocal leaders in that locker room, leading by example, Chris Hapsworzingis in the fold, I think that they need to build those reps because the one thing that the Celtics had with Marcus Smart in the past was they had the continuity and they've been together for you know five six years that that core group. So now that we're bringing in something new with Porzingis, I think they need to get those reps. They need to get those big game 
big game reps to make sure that Porzingis is ready in those moments and that the Jays are now ready to step up in the absence of Marcus Smart. So here's one thought that I had last night after looking at the schedule a little bit and thinking about this midseason tournament. The one part that I think is going to be a little bit weird is so if you look at the schedule, right, it's that Brooklyn, Toronto, Orlando on those Friday nights. But we also play Toronto at home. We play them away is the one that counts the tournament. Home does not count. Brooklyn, it's the it's the opposite. We play them at home. Away doesn't count. It's a little bit weird that you're playing those same teams at another time in that month within that tournament. And so think about, let's say at home against Brooklyn, Celtics win. Maybe at Brooklyn, we get killed. But that doesn't matter. That's not part of the tournament. And then, you know, so I, I think to me, maybe, and I wonder if this is part of it, maybe this is something that they're thinking of is, you know, why not just put, if you're going to have four or three other teams, or excuse me, four other teams that you're playing, do a home and away with both. And if you really want to turn this into soccer style, make it like an aggregate score, right? So between mm. those two games, you have to, you know, you have to not only either win both of those games, but win them by X amount, because that's going to be the tiebreaker if you're, you know, if you split them. So I think it's, I think that's going to be a little bit weird if there's different results in games that are so close to each other. And you got to kind of be like, well, that one counted for the tournament, this didn't. And then I think it, it does kind of hurt the legitimacy of the tournament when you're like, yeah, they got their ass kicked by Toronto, but it just wasn't the one. It, it was four days before, you know, the game that actually counted for the tournament. So I, I think that's going to be a little bit strange in, in real time. Yeah, I never really thought about it that way. Um, but, I, you know, I think it's just like any game that a coach is preparing for, a team is preparing for, you either are getting up for that game or you're not necessarily getting up for that game because it's just another slog in the 82 games, right? So the more meaningful games that you can have, the more and the more opportunities you're like really locked in on the game planning. I think that's just a better representation of how those teams would match up in a potential playoff series down the road. You know, I, I, I yeah. think that's also, also something to consider there. But I hear your point for sure. I think, you know, as, as the NBA continues to implement this probably for the rest of NBA history. Maybe, maybe this maybe. is just a, a, a small experiment. I'm sure they'll tinker with it over time. Yeah. And then the last note on November, you mentioned it. Uh, you mentioned his name, I should say Marcus smart. That's the first time we'll have a chance to see Marcus smart wearing, uh, wearing a Grizzlies Jersey at Memphis on November 19th. That's going to, going to stir some emotions as we know in uh in Celtic nation. So nine hour ahead. drive, baby. I know. I was. I was saying we, we got to. That that's one. That's a weekend game that potentially that might be on the docket for the boys to take a road trip. So that's that's one that we can mark. Heading to December, uh, you see December first, another big game against Philadelphia at home. And then I'm really curious if there's just a week break if you're not in the in season tournament. I'm still a little confused as to how that works as far as because it's supposed to. I, I know there'll be a couple games that get scheduled. So. That will be interesting to see how that all works for that week in December from the 4th to the 4th to the 9th right now, which is blocked out because we don't know what that's going to look like with the in-season tournament. Um, but then you see there's a pretty healthy homestand here for the Celtics around that Las Vegas trip. If they're not in Las Vegas, they have a pretty healthy homestand within here, including games against Golden State, Sacramento, the Clippers, and then the Lakers, of course, on December 25th. And then for us, Greg, this is the big one. Wemby, New Year's Eve, San Antonio. Uh, I think you and I need to start prepping the girls that there's a good chance that we're spending New Year's Eve in San Antonio. Yeah, you texted me. You were like, New Year's Eve in San Antonio? And I was like, possibly. And it's 100% just because of the women in our lives, right? We want to make sure that we're doing right by them. But hopefully they understand the importance of that game. 
the I think the hardest thing for me will be I'll be traveling back from you know holidays. So what my schedule looks like there, I'm going to have to work that out with Danielle because this is going to be actually the first time you know, if everything goes smoothly that I'll be spending Christmas, uh, with her family, they rent out this like cabin in, I think, um, like North Carolina or South Carolina every year. Um, so, so I'm going to be spending a, a few days and then them. they rent out a cabin. Well, it's like a bigger cabin, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> a cabin that can accommodate like six dogs and 14 yeah, people. Yeah, so, yeah, no, I got you. uh, maybe cabin is the wrong word. <laughs> A little late by the cabin. Nothing bad's ever happened there. Um, but yeah, no, I think I think December will be will be a fun month. Obviously, with that LA Laker game on Christmas, that's always special, right? Celtics yeah. Lakers, five PM game. Got that kind of middle game on Christmas. One thing to note here, just because I'm looking at you know the Warriors and the Lakers on this as well. When you look at national TV games, the Celtics are getting a lot of love when it comes to national TV, uh, excluding NBA TV or even if you include it, they're in that top four. Really, there's kind of a, a holy four group that. It seems like the networks kind of looked at as their top marketing aspects, and that was Golden State with Steph, the Lakers with LeBron, of course, the Suns with KD and Booker, and then the Celtics. All of those teams have 25-plus national TV games. If you're going to include the, you know, bastard child NBA TV, it's about 40 games that are technically on national Mm -hmm. television. So Celtics getting a lot of love from a national TV perspective. Let's head into the new year here we go it's a lot of games a lot so this is where the, the season really starts to pick up and it starts hitting you really quickly here so yeah january is a very busy month chet holmgren shay gilgis alexander and the oklahoma city thunder started off on the second uh then you can see here wemby makes his first appearance in boston on the 17th that's going to be a big one Ime Udoka on the 13th of January will come back to Boston uh right before that that's an interesting one man how that do you is. how do you think the crowd is going to react to Ime I'm a little nervous to be honest <laughs> I uh I I don't know because I feel like you know it's it's such a touchy topic that a lot of the conversations have for me been held no pun so. intended yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it's it's very difficult to make a comment one way or the other without there being a very obvious uh, either punchline and or caveat to what you want to say about the situation. So uh, how the crowd responds, I think that's going to be fascinating. And it, there's certainly going to be some interesting uh, conversations that come up at that time. So I think that's something me, you and Adam might need to do a little prep work for before we hop in and, get, and give and give our own take on it. But what do you, what do you think, or what are you thinking for that night? I don't know, man. I, I you know, I, I would say that most people will probably boo if I if I had um, if I had to guess. But the way that the players talk about Eme, like they still freaking love the guy. Yeah, so, I mean, you saw Tatum in Hall of Fame weekend, you know, talking with Ime, and you know, you hear about some of the other guys that, like, now that Embiid, it, things are kind of, you know, weird with the Sixers. What's the number one story you hear? You know, watch out for Houston. Embiid loved his time with Ime Odoka. Yeah. So, um, I think that if the players are saying stuff in the media leading up to that game, because I'm sure they're going to be getting a lot of questions about Ime's return. Maybe they're going to be prepping the crowd in a in you know in a way that allows Ime not to just get booed the entire game because yeah. I don't necessarily think that's fair for Ime to 
get booed the entire game. I'm not really sure how I feel about it. I would probably just stay quiet when they introduced him. That would probably be the best thing if if just nobody responded in any sort of auditory way. I mean, I mean, <laughs> they, I mean, I think, I think, I think booing is fine. I'm worried that booing is going to cross over into something else. Uh, oh which, yeah, you know what yeah. I mean. Because I think booing is fine. Because I think this dude, if you look back at our season, I mean, his whether or not you agree with how whatever the how the Celtics handled subsequently what happened, Ime made a horribly selfish decision that did have replications that we saw yep. end up all the way in the playoffs when we had you know half of our original coaching staff from what we thought the night before training camp. Yeah, so, you talked me into it. He deserves to get booed. Yeah, I, I think getting booed is is for sure on the docket. Let's uh let's head to February here. There's a big date. So so calms down here. The storm calms down here in February with some of those games. The big one being on a Sunday. Memphis Grizzlies in town, Marcus Smart, the tribute video, all of it that comes along with it. Uh, that's going to be a massive game. I've already seen people looking at it's funny. Marcus Smart drives the resale market in Boston because I've seen people already trying to look at tickets, which aren't even really available. People got to people got to calm down with some of their some of their um, tweets that they're putting out about some of these tickets. Um, but that's going to be a really interesting one. Any thoughts on how you're going to? feel and or react to Marcus being back in the garden, but in a different uniform, because when it's at Memphis, it's a little bit different, but in the garden, that's a whole different ballgame. I'll probably cry, to be honest with you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think that with with Marcus being back, one thing I was wondering is like, will we're talking about like betting, like, would you bet the Marcus smart overs or unders in that game? Like, is the emotion going to be too much for Marcus to actually be able to rise to the occasion and play well in Boston? Or like, would you bet the Marcus overs in the Memphis game? Because to me, I think like the Memphis game is I'll probably hammer Marcus Smart overs because I feel like he's going to be doing it for his crowd. It's not going to be mm -hmm. quite as emotional with with the you know TD Garden crowd ch like cheering for him every single time he touches the ball. That's what I imagine is anytime Marcus does anything, people are going to lose their shit in Boston. So until he goes, yeah, that's for, my first until question. he goes for a loose ball and dives into Rob Williams' legs, and then it's going to oh flip really quick, right? So I know. that's that's going to be the part that's really crazy to watch. Yeah, I think that's interesting. I, I would I would imagine when it comes to him in Boston, having watched Marcus Smart for nine years, that feels like a game where it's it's probably going he's going to press a little bit too hard. I feel like that's a, a one for thirteen game that that potentially might be coming for Marcus Smart. Something something maybe not quite to the extent of one for thirteen, but I, I feel like a rough shooting night is in the cards for. For Marcus Smart with maybe a few attempts at hero plays, but um, but yeah, so for February, a lot of home games for the Celtics here. Obviously, a break with the uh, with the All Star game in between here, but a relatively light, at least load management wise, schedule for the Celtics in February, and then we head over to March here, and you know, very road heavy in March right now is is what we're looking at. You know, only uh, five home games here are going to be in March with a lot of games on the road. Something I want to point out to you, Greg, I know that you have a wedding coming up. I don't know when exactly, but I know you're going to have a bachelor party at some point at Phoenix on a weekend here, man. If we want to try to make it Friday to Sunday in Phoenix, just saying that could be an option. A little bit of golf, get a house with a pool, you know, go check out KD and the boys. That's that's certainly something that that I think, uh, you know, you tell me if that's appealing. Yeah, I mean, I'd never really thought about Phoenix as as an option, but I think that would be actually really cool. Um, I don't know, you know, like with dude, bachelor parties are a whole a whole nother thing. Um, but I think just going to Phoenix for that game, just in general, I think would be 
you know, fun opportunity. I've never been to Phoenix. I've never been to Arizona. And seeing that new Suns team, I think that's going to be a heck of a matchup. You know, anytime you can get an NBA Finals preview, um, I'm I'm in. You know, yeah. so let's 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 talk about it the closer we get to it. But I, th- I think that's not a bad idea. And then from there, they wrap up in April. Really nice homestand, basically. You know, from you know April April third all the way through the end of the season here. And ideally, if the Celtics are obviously going to be as they should be, a top four seed. Only have to travel one more time, which is to Milwaukee, the second to last week of the season. So schedule, you know, on the back end does set up really nice. Once they get through a really tough March with a lot of road games, they'll be able to rest up and ideally be ready to go for the postseason. But Greg, schedule release, it really just means one thing. We're one step closer to being back to regular season basketball. And that's pretty damn exciting. Any final thoughts here before we wrap up? Uh, no final thoughts. We're going to be kicking this to, uh, an interview that I did with my buddy down here in Austin, Texas. Uh, it's got a really cool business that I, I wanted to give him a platform to promote because I think it's, uh, it's just really cool. He's also a Cleveland Cavaliers fan. And, you know, for those of you that are listening on the pod, there's probably about five to seven minutes of LeBron James, uh, adulation. So just be aware of that. (laughs) Was that, was that a trigger warning? Yeah, it was a trick or <laughs> All right, you've been warned, but enjoy the conversation and uh, enjoy this bonus episode, and we'll see y'all later this weekend. Take care, y'all. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I'm ready. I got my hat on. All right. Good to go. Represent the two one six. That's Cleveland for those who don't who don't celebrate. Are uh, you ready? I'm ready. Okay. All right. Welcome back. I want to introduce today's guest, a big time music producer down here in Austin, Texas, whose productions have defied the almighty algorithm and have been streamed several million times on Spotify, including the new smash hit One Night by Austin based artist Daddy Nat. Shout out to Daddy Nat. Uh, This man has also helped my band, Black Sheep Optimist, record our first EP, Book One, and has served as our sound engineer for a majority of our songs. He won Producer of the Year in Austin in back-to-back years. Uh, Nominated. Nominated. Sorry about that. Nominated. Producer of the Year in Austin, back-to-back years in 2017 and 2018. But more importantly, he recently started a business called Your Tale, which helps people record their life stories to pass down from generation to generation. 
Welcome to the podcast, the lonely child himself, Mr. Brian Ray. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. Thank you so much, Greg, for having me and for the lovely introduction. Well, I, I apologize for, for getting it wrong, but do you, did you win either of those years in 17 or nope. 18? Who, who ended up winning? Uh, the almighty Adrian Casada won both ah. of those years. Nothing wrong with that. Shout no. out, Adrian. Yeah, Adrian, for those of you listening, is uh, the mastermind behind the group Black Pumas, uh, which were all over the, all over the world uh, in 2019, 2020? Can't remember everything from 2019 to now is like a yeah, blur. We're, we're all living in the Black Puma universe right now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Brian, I know we're, we're we'll talk about your tale here in a little bit. Uh, this is a basketball podcast. Brian happens to be a big time Cleveland Cavaliers fan, as you could probably see from the clothes that he's wearing right now. So you know we got to talk about LeBron and those Cavs teams. But I actually want to start with a debate that uh, myself and one of the other hosts of the pod had on our last podcast, who would you rather have on your team right now, Donovan Mitchell or Jalen Brown? So before I answer that question, I don't watch much basketball anymore. Okay. I'm going to tell you why. Because the way that the Cavs won in 2016 is as good as it could possibly get for anyone, especially – a native Cleveland person and a fan of the Cavs. And after that improbable, incredible victory, I think I just let go. I was <laughs> satiated. What could possibly beat that that would garner like so much of my energy moving forward that I could ever compare other than maybe wanting my child one day to experience something like that. But so I will say that now that being said, I would have to take Donovan Mitchell just for the, the money, right? Like, I don't think I can afford Jalen these days. Oh, oh man, so, Jalen got the bag. But I hear you, bro. That reminds me of my fandom as both a Boston Red Sox fan and a Patriots fan, right? After the Red Sox had all that success growing up, you know, breaking the curse, it, it just doesn't mean quite as much to me anymore now that we reach those heights. And the same with the Patriots. Like, when Tom Brady yeah. left with the Patriots, I was just – I was kind of okay with, with – all my fandom up until that point. Yeah, totally. And I mean, I'll, I have a pick of me the night, the moment the Cavs won, I'm like, it was one of the best nights of my life up there with the wedding. And I told my wife, I was like, <laughs> you have to understand I've had a much longer relationship with the Cavs than I've had with you. You just need to understand. Like that was a big night. And ever since then, like I said, it's like, what else, what could you ever want down three, one, LeBron came back after the decision. We were devastated. I mean, it's it's hard to really articulate what LeBron James – well, I know we're going to get to LeBron, but the context of that 2016 win, it's really hard to articulate if you're not from Cleveland what it means to see someone from where I'm from, Northeast Ohio, achieve what he's achieved with so much grace and class. It – that is the type of thing that makes anyone from where I'm from believe that they can do anything. Mm. And I don't know if we really had anyone like that before. I can't really stress how important he is to, I mean, he's from Akron. Cleveland mm. is, you know, an hour from Akron, but Northeast yeah. Ohio, I can't stress how much he means not only to me, but to everyone from there. He has defied everything that people told us we were capable of, what the, what the ceiling was on that. Yeah. He broke right through it for everybody. Well, let, let's, uh, let's backtrack. Let's go there, man. So yeah. 
when you know growing up we're around the same age uh what year did you graduate high school uh 2003 yeah yeah so you, you're a couple years older than me but i'm 100. <laughs> when lebron was coming up man you know he's all over espn um everybody all kids my age i'm 30 from page right sports now. illustrated yeah, sport covers Sports Illustrated. So, like, what was it like growing up, you know, knowing that you had this guy like LeBron James kind of waiting in the wings, and what were the expectations back then? Well, it's also this thing is like people don't remember. Like people who are, you know, I'm I'm 38. People who are like 20 don't remember because his career is spanned at this point, you know, 20 years. So I got the SVSM St. Vincent St. Mary jersey on. I got this in South Korea for 20 bucks. <laughs> oh, proud of that. This is the, the OG. My mom took me to see him his senior year of high school. So I saw LeBron play in high school. Um, obviously, he was better than everyone else on the court then. Um, I remember in 11th grade in my like chemistry class, someone brought in the Sports Illustrated cover. He's my age. He's like, he's like one month older than me to the day. Mm. It was hard to comprehend, and he was saddled with expectations. But the expectations he was saddled with dare I say he somehow exceeded them, but they were at minimum what he's achieved to saddle that on an 18 year old from Akron when he, not even 18, when that started, he was like 17, 16. And then for him to just, the only misstep he had was the decision, which still like raised a bunch of money for charity. Like even that, and then he made he made up for that. It's our, our, our mindset when you grow up in a place like Cleveland 20 years ago, which is like a laughing stock to a lot of people. The river caught on fire. They can't win. We hadn't won anything since I think it was like 64. The Browns won before it was the NFL Indians or the former Indians. Now the guardians shout out guardians. They hadn't won since like 54. This was my dad's basically my dad's entire life to saddle this kid with these types of expectations. Then for him to get drafted first to the Cavs, which, you know, who knows this, you know, I would have to assume there's a little finagling in the, in the background, <laughs> there. but it worked out for him to then progress the way he did and truly deliver on that type of promise and to do it basically free of any sort of, you know, real serious issues, you know, raise an incredible family, start this, all these amazing foundations, these schools, just to see him just keep going. You know, we, I remember we never didn't believe in him. Mm. I felt like when other people said, oh, this guy, there's no way he's going to deliver. Like, I remember me and my friends watching every game from rookie year on, rookie of the year. That was my first year in college. I watched every game. I remember just being like, we just rooted so hard for this guy because he was, again, like he was what we all could be. And if he can do it from his circumstances, then like any of us can do anything. And now that he has done it, that's just like part of me now as yeah. someone who grew up there. Like it really is. I can't, it sounds sappy. It sounds like contrived or like it's not. And I bet if you talk to a lot of people my age from Cleveland, like they'll say the exact same thing. People older, like that dude is, means a whole lot to that city. And once he won in 2016, he was ready to go, go to LA. We're like, 
go for it, bro. Like you're good with us, man. Like I'll, if you need help building the statue, like I will, I will help. You know, I'm <laughs> there. Like that's so means cool a lot. to hear though, man. That's so cool to hear. Cause you know, obviously this is a Celtics podcast. There is a little bit of an acrimonious relationship between Celtics fans and LeBron James. Personally, I love the guy. I think he's, you know, I, I respect his talent. I respect him as a human being and all the work that he does. I know um, a couple people that know him and they say that he's a great dude. Like he's like absolutely one of the most genuine, fun-loving people that you'll ever get to meet in your entire life. And, you know, to hear you kind of have that perspective, somebody who grew up in the same area as LeBron, the same age, some would call you a peer, Brian, of LeBron James. Uh, I don't know about that, but. uh, I I think it's just really cool to hear because, you know, there there might be some Celtics fans that have already turned off the podcast because they don't want to hear uh, you well, know, glowing, glowing terms about LeBron. I did wear the green. I wore the green jersey for y'all. There you go. And I got no beef with the Celtics anymore. Yeah, let, let's let's backtrack to um, 2007. Okay, 2007, 2008. You know, we have that crazy series: Celtics against the Cavaliers, Eastern Conference Semifinals. It goes to seven games. LeBron and Paul Pierce have this duel where I think it was like LeBron had 45, Paul had 41. Uh, funny story about that game, Brian, and I've told the story on the pod before. I'll, I'll keep it short, but I, my best friend in, in the entire my, the entire world is the uh, is the co-host of the podcast, Will, and I didn't take Will to that game. I ended up taking a girl to that game because I was just tripping, man. I was she had a fake ID. She said she was going to be able to get us booze at the game. So I you weren't tripping. You just were thirsty. Yeah, I was thirsty in all all types yeah, of it. ways. We've all and, been there. Um, being in the building for that game. And seeing LeBron do what he did at the age that he was, was one of the most unbelievable feats I've ever seen. I also was at game six, I think it was, against Miami where LeBron had that game where he was like 13 for 17 from the field and just completely dominated after the, it looked like the Celtics were going to um, end up going going back to the finals that year. So I've seen Le- two of LeBron's greatest performances in person at TD Garden. Uh, what I want to ask you though, is as a Cavs fan, there's been a lot of talk about Paul Pierce in the media over the past couple of years. And I would just love to hear from your perspective, what were what were your thoughts of Paul Pierce as a quote-unquote rival of LeBron James back in the day? He's an excellent rival. I always, I always loved Paul Pierce ever since Kansas. Like, I, I'm a Paul Pierce fan. He's said some, you know, suspect things that I don't, I think most of us can agree are like, you know, antagonizing and not necessarily true um, about his place in the pantheon of basketball. But I also think if he wasn't saying that people would underrate him. Paul Mm -hmm. Pierce could ball man. And Paul Pierce would lock in like when Paul Pierce locked in, it was like Paul Pierce. I remember Paul so many games like Paul Pierce lights out from three lights out just, and he's like, his game like didn't look great. That's the other thing. I love I love cats whose game is ugly, but it's still just like because it's how do you guard someone like that? It's so unorthodox. What's this guy right? doing? Yeah, so what? A, we it's it's unorthodox. We had um yeah. this guy Dana Barrows, who was my childhood hero, uh big time Boston College player, Celtics player. Uh he was an all-star one year for the Sixers in like ninety four, ninety five, but he played with Paul Pierce in Boston and they called him Bad Body Pete. 
that was his nickname in the locker room because he didn't look he didn't look the part, right? He was six seven and two forty sure. or whatever he was, but he just didn't look like a supreme athlete. And when you juxtapose him going up against LeBron James, who's a yeah. freaking Adonis, it's just so funny yeah. to see those two guys compete. Now that being said, LeBron's game was kind of funky looking back then too. Weird, weird stroke, like elbow out. Like he had LeBron's. I don't think people appreciate now how much LeBron worked on his game, you know, because it was like Cleveland, he, how good he was with all these like flaws that he finally like locked down in Miami when he was like peak LeBron or whatever. And then the maturity when he came back to Cleveland, but his game was weird, man, like weird threes. He used to be criticized all the time for sort of passing up the big shot. Cause he was a, th- he was an assist guy. He was like a magic fan. He wanted to dish, but there probably was some like fear in that, you know, he's young and he's got all this weight on his shoulders. My the the picture in my mind I always have of Pierce and LeBron is I'm gonna stand I'm gonna show you so like Pierce I remember Pierce doing this like slow under the legs just back and forth just eyeing LeBron with the eyes and Paul Pierce was older and he was just like you are not as good as me and then like he, Paul Pierce would play a plus basketball and he would do he would be the best he could possibly be against LeBron and LeBron wasn't even peak LeBron and you still outplay the guy you know undeniably yeah Pierce goes for 41 LeBron pre-peak LeBron goes for 44 mm-hmm. you know and probably yeah. 10 probably triple double it's so funny you say that so like that th- that move that Paul Pierce used to do where he'd have a very methodical dribble he'd set you up with like a little shoulder fake he'd take one mm-hmm. dribble to his right and he'd pull up off that like that yeah. little mid-range jumper and LeBron always did a good job covering him but for whatever reason Paul like Maybe it was like a big brother, little brother type relationship where he was older and just because I'm older, I feel like I have some sort of advantage over you, whether it's mentally, you know, and those matchups were were just so – so transformative to watch for me as a, as a Celtics fan and someone who was a fan of LeBron, even when I was rooting against him. And then I think it was 2012, the game six in Boston, when, when the heat finally, cause they had lost 2011, right. And one in 2012, I I think I had the dates right there, but I mean, LeBron in Miami was, was a whole nother animal. So tell me, talk to me about, when LeBron uh, first left, right? I know you you mentioned it, how he raised money in the community, but there were so many people in Cleveland that, you know, burning jerseys and all that. Was that more media driven or were people actually really that pissed? People were that pissed. I was that pissed. I didn't burn anything because, like, I still like the jerseys and stuff. Yeah. I mean, clearly, but, like, yeah, dude, we were, pit- we were pissed for the way he did it. Mm-hmm. You know, just surprising everybody going on TV and taking my talents. But also it's like, like I said, I don't – I was mad. I was, like, really mad. A lot of people in Cleveland were mad because we felt, in a way, entitled to his talent. You know, it's like you're from here, you're here. But ultimately, he made it right. He made it right in a way that, like, as I described earlier, I, like, don't need to watch basketball anymore. He, like, hurt the NBA by making it so right that I don't even watch basketball that much. Because it's like you – he gave he gave me, he gave us – the best possible version of winning, you know, the most Cleveland version of winning. Every person who told us like we couldn't do it, he did it in, in a moment when everyone told him he couldn't do it. I mean, down three, one, uh, that comeback. I mean, it was 73 and not, what were they? 73 and nine. It's like, it's everything about it. It's that's not just being down three, one It's being down three, one to a team that was better than the 70, 70 and 12 bulls. You know, it's Mm -hmm. like, 
everything about it. And it's, it's the mental, the mental side of how we won that. The empower, the way he empowered Kyrie Irving to be probably the best we've ever seen Kyrie be truly. Yeah. And so what is, what are your thoughts on Kyrie? We don't have to go like too deep down that rabbit hole, but <laughs> what are your thoughts on Kyrie? The way that he left Cleveland and like his career since leaving Cleveland? Cause Boston fans obviously freaking hate him. So the only thing I'll say about Kyrie is that like, you know, when you play a video game and you like build a player yeah. and you only have X amount of, you know, points to divide up. I think people are like that. Mm-hmm. So for example, like Stevie wonder can't see, but therefore all these other things are elevated, right? Just as an example, right? That's yeah. just an obvious example. But I think that's true of everybody, probably in more nuanced ways. Kyrie Irving is probably the best ball handler that exists on the planet. He defies gravity. He It's almost like it's attached to him mm-hmm. with some invisible string. I think having that much of that, there might be deficiencies in other places that have led to you know some of the things we don't need to get into. You know, a lot of people have a habit of being like, I'm really, really good at this. Therefore, I must be really that good at everything I put my mind to. And I don't think that's true of anybody, Kyrie Irving included. That being said, one of the most exciting players you can watch, especially when, like when he's cooking, man, like when he's really cooking, it's like, I have you ever seen someone handle the ball like that? Truly. No, I mean, so some of the best performances I've ever seen live, those two LeBron performances I talked about, and then I was at the Christmas Day game, Celtics against Sixers, where Kyrie, I forget what Mm -hmm. what his final stat line was, but it was up there with what LeBron did in those games. Like, I've never seen anybody just put a team on their back the way that Kyrie did. And he, you know, he's an unbelievable player. Like, the way that he left Boston and just, like, some of the comments that he's made about the city and whatnot have rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. Um, He said similar things about Cleveland. What did did he say about Cleveland? Just, you know, like, little digs, you know. It's, like, a little slightly under the surface. Just little digs. And you're just like, come on, bro. Like, anyway, so I didn't mean to interrupt. No, why, why, like, why burn the bridges, you know? And he seemed like... Like like I said, you get all this praise for this one thing. You don't have people keeping you in check being like, hey, man, that doesn't necessarily mean like you. Everything you do is going to be the same, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, that's my Kyrie to me is like a, an example of that. That's that's well said. OK, Brian, I want to talk to uh, a little bit about your tale. So I'll, I'll kind of back off and give you some space to talk about it. I think it's such a really cool idea. The moment you told me that you were doing this and this was your business, I was like, dude, I got to get you on the pot to talk about it. Because I feel like there are going to be a lot of people out there that will be able to relate to this and potentially you know, reach out to you to see if there's there's a way that we, we can uh, work together to get people's stories told. Sure. Yeah, I really appreciate that, man. Um, So, I mean, I'm in my studio, Boogie Wonderland, right now in Austin, and about God, it's about 10 years ago, uh, my father-in-law passed. And so I'm 38. I was 28. My wife was 29. And that's a, that's a difficult thing to go through. Anyone who's lost a parent knows. And if, if you have, if you're fortunate enough to have not lost a parent yet, it's, it's, it's a lot. Um, about five years later, <clears throat> I just sort of had this realization that, man, if I had only just like recorded I didn't get to know him as well as I had wanted to. And I've got all this equipment. I'm an audio person. And I just realized, like, 
one day I'm going to have a child and what if they could hear the voice and the story of, I never met my grandfather, for example, um, cause he died before I was born. What if you had this person's life story, super high resolution, like you were sitting in the room with them a hundred years later, 200 years later, a thousand years later, you know, that'd be someone you wouldn't know, but the same, same token, your parent just a year later, two years later, needing that moment, that reconnection, revealing new things about yourself as you age, you know, I interviewed. So the first interview I did was my dad for his 70th birthday. And I flew home to Cleveland and I brought my mic and I brought my laptop. I didn't do like iPhone style. I did like high res because the mics I use sound insane. And I wanted to make sure that when you listen to this, it felt like you were in the room with this person. Mm. Um, my dad's still with us, but my daughter is, is about to be four and my dad won't be with us forever. And I want her to be able to, listen back and get to know this person. What was so fascinating about interviewing my dad was I was 35. I forget how old I was. Basically I was the age he was when I was born, when I interviewed him, I interviewed him from his earliest memory. All our interviews start with your earliest memory because that's kind of the first moment that you exist Mm -hmm. in your own mind. And I just guided him through his life chronologically and all the way up to the, the moment I was born, which was the moment in time that I was experiencing for myself. And in that two and a half hour conversation, I suddenly felt like I knew my dad better than I ever had known him in my entire life. And to this day, that two and a half hour conversation is like the foundation for my relationship with my father now, because I saw the person he was before he was living for me, yeah. what it was like for him to live for himself. And I got this, this thing, I got it. And I, he was here and I got it. And so what happened with my father-in-law would never happen with my dad. So then I went and interviewed my mom and then I interviewed my mother-in-law whose, you know, husband was my, my father-in-law who passed. And I got these stories and it's not really stories. You know, I think a lot of people do think about it as stories. You get stories, but what it's really about is the personality. It's the mm-hmm. person. And the only way you can, in my opinion, really capture who someone is, is to have them talking about something that only they're an expert in and that's themselves and their own life experience. A lot of people don't really reflect on their life and the journey of their life and how one thing actually leads to another. Um, Especially if you just go to college, get a job and just kind of go, it's hard to look back and make connections about how this moment today relates to some moment 50 years ago. It's hard to do. That's what we try to try to do with people. That's why we go chronologically. Um, so I did a bunch of these interviews for family. I did my aunts, uncles, all these people. And people kept saying, like, you should offer this service to other people. And once my daughter was born in 2019, like, within a few months, it all clicked. And we were like, we got to do this. Like, it, there's just this added layer of importance to this, this type of work. Um, so we opened up the studio and we sort of built out a, a template, a way to do this for other people that follows the model I started with my dad. It's always chronological. Uh, most importantly, it's always in person. So right now, this is a service that's really only available to the community around me, Austin, Texas. And if people want to come in, I have been flown places to do these for people. And that's amazing. But it's very important to us that these things happen in person. Because one, the audio quality is creates the environment that we want. The audio quality is so high resolution. And furthermore, I don't like myself. I'm off the mic. So you hear the questions but the emphasis is on the person telling the story. So you're able to follow along the conversation, but it's not like story and then 
equal volume, equal importance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Little interjections. That to me takes you out of it. Um, so having this in-person experience, people come to the house, to the studio. We do a typically like a 40 to 45 minute prep interview. We gather all the information that they want to make sure to talk about. And then we integrate that into our timeline and our chronology so that we make sure to touch on those things. But it's not just like a list of questions decontextualized from one another. If you want to talk about something that happened in fourth grade and then some other story that happened when you were 26, the fourth grade story is going to come up when we get to, to that part of your life. And when you're 26, it's going to happen. It's going to come up when we get to that part of your life. It's a narrative that you're telling, and all we do is guide you. We might interject a story to keep the conversation moving, but the point is to take someone down the path of their own life, and it's a very joyous experience for people. Some people, especially older clients, are a little bit nervous when they come in. We always have a preliminary call with them to prepare them. But once you get through that earliest memory thing, it's so visceral for a person. They haven't thought about it. A lot of people have never thought about what's their earliest memory. They have them, but they never really thought like, this is the moment I started. And then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you from that to today. And most people don't do that. Why would you? It's, it's a difficult exercise to do on your own. Our hope is that in doing this for people, not only do we give people a new sense of gratitude for their own life, which pretty much happens every single time we do it, mm. but we also provide a context for the people that they love to understand that person better and hopefully to understand themselves better. Like I said, I learned what my dad was like at my age. I had never, and how he got there and the decisions he made and why he made them or why he didn't make them. And that gave me so much insight into myself. And I've since interviewed him again from when I was born through my life, you know, and what his life was like having me as a child. And the amount of insight that you get into not only someone that you love dearly, but also yourself is important. But ultimately, I, I, I want to stress this. Really what you're getting, though, is you get the sensation of really knowing a person and being in the room with a person who you won't be able to be in a room with forever. Mm -hmm. And you get their laugh, the way they snort when they laugh, the way they tap their foot when they're nervous, the way they kind of, we do video too. So like when people do video, the way that they sort of pause and think, the way they laugh uncontrollably when they remember, every person remembers at least like two stories that they've never, that they haven't thought about since they happened. And <laughs> yeah. people getting so enraptured in their own life and that joy there are tears. We got Kleenex, but it's such a joyous experience. And just like recording music, you know, I'm, obviously we record hip hop. We're sort of slowing down time and we're making a beat and then we're recording. But when I play in bands and record bands, we are capturing a moment in time. And that moment is over when we're done, but we captured it. And that's what your tale is all about. But with the person you love talking about the one thing that they know best, their life and their lived experience. And you get all of that in like two to three hours. And then we put it on a really beautiful, I didn't bring the package in here, I should have, a beautiful little leather box and a thumb drive. And you can buy additional ones to give us, it's like a gift box. It's, it's really wonderful. And you have it forever. And we're also working on, it's a much more premium product, but we're working on figuring out how to press a one of one vinyl of the interview. Mm -hmm. Because that will actually live forever because you don't need electricity to do that. You can just hand crank an old gramophone and you can listen to someone's story. So we're working on that too. Uh, it's very important to us that this is not something that is just going to get lost in some app or 
you know, on SoundCloud or whatever, this is something that needs to live forever. Uh, the data is protected. It's, it's in cold storage. Nothing's like being stored on the cloud. No one's dad's voice is being sold to AI or anything. This is like <laughs> as analog as we can be and as real as we can be. We don't edit these unless someone just says, hey, I said something I don't want my kids to hear, but mm. we just let it rip, you know? And it's great for me. I'm, I'm prepped, so I just guide them along, you know? And my wife does interviews too. Well, it's it's so beautiful, man. There's so there's so much meat on that bone that I I, I want to chew yeah. right now. Um, the first thing that kind of like pops out to me is like the comments that you're making about like how you're capturing the real essence of the person because so much of our lives right now are curated, right? You know, the social media profiles that we have, and we're only sharing the best snapshots of of who we are, and it's really mostly a facade, right? So yeah, to to 100%. get into these conversations that you have with people, what is like, what is the biggest takeaway that you feel like the other people leave your the conversations with you with? Well, I'd say it's a decidedly Midwestern point of view, but I, I I'm from the Midwest. <laughs> you know, you talk to a lot of people in the mid. We're there's a lot of humility in the Midwest, and there's a lot of people who buy into what I think is ultimately like not true, which is that people who do notable things are interesting and people who do regular things are not. And why would anyone want to hear from me? And I believe that if anything, that's not true, but I almost believe the inverse is true. Because again, if you're doing notable things, you're cultivating what people know about you. And lots of really interesting people I know are way too busy being interesting and living their lives to create some sort of you know, version of what they're doing for, for other people to see. So the, the basic belief that I have at the core of all of this is that every single person has a lived experience and a story to tell. And that's not a belief, that's a fact. Mm -hmm. Every person you meet in a moment in time is a product of every moment from their earliest memory up until that moment you meet them. And my sincere hope as we aggregate and record these stories. We've recorded almost 50 at this point in, in under a year. My goal and, and core belief is that we can demonstrate to people how much we have in common in the fact that we're all living these unique lived experiences. Because you know, I don't know you from anything about you the moment I meet you from before that moment. And I'm hoping that this can give people uh, teach people how to treat people with a little more grace mm. and compassion and love by acknowledging that, Hey, like all the things I've been through up to this moment that have made me who I am, you've been through your own version of that. And that is equally valid to my experience. And that's actually the thing that we share. That's not that those are not our differences. The fact that they're different experiences is actually what makes us, us all the same. I love Does that, that. Make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And another thing that I wanted to touch on is, you know, you, you said that the conversation that you had with your dad that kind of spurred all of this was the, the, like the jumping off point for your the basis of your relationship with him now. And it just reminded me so much of how like, people are, you know, the stranger phenomenon, when you meet somebody that's a strange, and you're able to share your deepest, darkest secrets with this person that you don't know, because there's just some some guard that comes up when we talk with the people that we love, where we're almost um, scared to share and be vulnerable with them, because you know, oh, you got to see them, you got to see them again. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely, right. So, like, yeah. um, with the 
conversations that people are having i just i love how human it is right because we have we have all this like existential dread as well just as as human beings and i feel like it's at an all-time high like there are studies out there that anxiety is at an all-time high and people don't know what their purpose is so the the idea of every voice you know every person has a story and every story matters i think is 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 such a foundational value that i i believe in you know and i think if more people were able to just recognize that within themselves then you know they'd they'd be able to be like you know i I do matter and and everything that i've done up until this point is is validated in the stories that i'm telling so i think that's That's right it's my lived experience and it's valid and to that point thank you so much and i agree with you we're, we're in a world where, you know, a lot of that existential dread is coming from being on social media and, and seeing people's highlight reels and comparing yourself to that. But there's also not an active reflection in that either. It's, mm. it's projection. And one of the issues with all the social media is people are telling you things about themselves that they think are interesting, but no one's asking. And we're platforming people and saying, hey, I'm actually interested in all of it. And that gives someone permission to just be honest and get lost in it. And what you end up getting is, is the truth, the closest thing to truth that we have anymore. Because if you tell me when I was five, I, whatever, it broke my arm, I can't be like, that's a lie. <laughs> you know, it's like, you might be lying, but it's like, I no one on earth can like, argue. maybe your mom might be like, that's not what happened. But do you know what I'm saying? We live in this sort of post-truth world and no one can discern what, what's real and what's not. But it's like, this is as real as it gets. This is you from the moment you came to, to this moment that we're sitting in now. And your experience with that is, is the closest thing to truth that I can, that I can fathom right now. So that's the sort of underpinning of the whole thing. But at the end of the day, we just want to help people capture someone that they love in the truest form we can capture and have that live forever so that you can revisit it when you need to. You might not need to listen to this for 50 years. That doesn't matter. But the the day, the moment where you do need it and it's there, you can't put a price on that. Dude, yeah, that I mean this is hitting me really hard right now. You know, I my I have one grandparent left. I've been fortunate enough both my parents are still alive. Um, but my nana on my dad's side and my papa on my um on my mom's side they both passed away they both you know were not the same person that they were that i remembered as a little kid growing up and you know there i do have that feeling where i'm like man i wish i could just like relive one conversation with them or like mm-hmm. see what they were like when you know what did their face look like when they thought about a time when when they were 35 years old instead of, you know, the 90 year old shell of who they used to be that's sitting in front of me, you know, and I think that's so valuable, dude. Yeah. And we have a lot of, uh, a lot of people who've been doing this lately are new parents or or recent parents who want to freeze. It's typically video capture who they are in this moment so that, you know, my dad was looking back on what it was like to, to be my age, Mm. but imagine if I could see him at my age. Yeah. You know, and so this is an opportunity to do that as well. And so many people are, are doing just that. So it's not just for like your 90 year old grandmother who's like, and a lot of times I'm not saying you shouldn't do that, but the time to do it is when someone is the version of them that you want to preserve. You know, this is not an end of life thing. It, it is for some people, but it doesn't mean you're going to die tomorrow. If you do this, it's <laughs> yeah. just a time capsule. It's a moment in time. People's, 
ways of thinking change, people's personalities change, lived experiences contribute to that. It's very useful to get out of you who you are in this moment and then revisit it in five years, revisit it in 10 years. And a good friend of ours just did this recently. His wife is pregnant. And he said, I'm not going to give this to my kid until they're at least 18. It's just something to tuck away. It's me in this moment because I want my child to be able to relate to me as they grow into the ages that, that I've already lived instead of me just only looking back, you know, which is valuable too. We, we, it's valuable to get whatever you can get, but mm-hmm. I can't stress enough how, how important it is in my opinion to capture a person in the best version of them that's there on a Tuesday when everything's great, you know, yeah. just come and we're going to do this, have a drink after unwind. The other great thing is like, a lot of people are really anxious because they don't want to get into something traumatic that's a, a defining part of their life for the bajillionth time. Mm-hmm. And I get that. But what I always tell them is this is the last time you're going to have to do it mm-hmm. because we're recording it. So if anyone wants to understand that part of you, you can just be like, here, I can't, I can't relive it again. And I think that's really valuable too. Um, we've had a lot of people who have gone through that trauma with us. And they've said after, I feel like I actually can like let a lot of this go because it's here. And if someone needs to understand me in this way, I can at least give them this sort of like cliff's notes on that without having to relive, you know, these types of things. So there's a, it has different meaning and different value to every single person who does it. But at the end of the day, what you're getting is a moment in time with a person you love in the highest fidelity possible. I mean, it sounds insane. It sounds so good. My room sounds amazing. The mic sounds amazing. It feels like you are in the room with this person. And that's what that's what we're about. And that's what we're trying to provide for people. Well, it's beautiful, man. And I'm, I'm so happy that you were able to come on today and, and chat about it. I, I do want to leave on one question to you, though. What sure. Is Thanks your, for having is, me. Yeah, of course. Of course. What is your earliest memory or what is a, a favorite memory from your childhood? That's a great question. Um, and people have asked me that. Um, I, there, there's two, the thing that's weird is I'm, I know how old I would have been and I'm like, I have to have had a memory earlier than this, but I believe it's the day that my sister was born and she was born January 13th, 1989. So I was about to be four. Her birthday is five days before mine, Okay. but four years apart. And I remember being in preschool and I remember being someone coming in the room and saying, Hey, Brian, you need to come to the principal's office. And I remember walking down this big hall and I can still see it and walking into this office and them telling me you have a baby sister now. And I remember that so vividly, but I was four and I've talked to so many people, their earliest memory, they're like two, yeah. two and a half. So I'm just yeah. like, my, my follow my follow-up question now, I, I love that. That's beautiful. By the way, your sister is about a month older than I am, February 23rd, okay. 1989 over okay. here. Uh, what is your first either basketball or sports memory? Oh, man. Uh, well, so I the thing is, like, my most vivid and my first, I, there's definitely, like, I, for sure, my dad took me to the final opening game, Cleveland Indians home game at the former Cleveland Municipal Stadium. Okay. So that's a very vivid memory for me, and that would have been 1993. But I have more vivid memories of 
1995 when the Indians were like on this crazy tear and they made the World Series and they were like, and I was 10 and we had been living abroad for a year and we came back in the summer to this team just like demolishing everybody and all these come from behind wins. So I remember the energy of that summer the most from a sports perspective. And You know, you're a kid, like baseball is such like a kid Mm-hmm. sport you know like in cleveland kids, especially yeah. in the summer is like it's i'm playing little league and everything so those are those are the two a lot of baseball memories the Cavs were such trash like all through <laughs> all through the, you, don't, you know you don't we have lost, any good bobby sarah memories no i got mark price memories though okay. i got you know what i got i got sean kemp memories <laughs> yeah because he was in the Cavs for like a year i was a big, big rain, rain man fan yeah i had the kicks and everything that's beautiful well, one, one of i'll give you i'll give you very quickly Two super early memories for me. Yeah, One, let's go. Uh, playing Duck Duck Goose. Did you ever play Duck Duck Goose as a kid? Of course. Yeah. yeah so playing Duck Duck Goose in like preschool, I, I like can see myself running around the 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 park right outside my school, the Richard J. Murphy Elementary School in Dorchester. How, how vivid is is that park? Can you see the buildings around it? Can you see the types of plants, the playground, the colors? You know, it's interesting because. I've been to that park so many times in my life. I don't know if my memory is from that time or if my memory is informed sure. by all the other times I've been there. You know what I mean? Sure. But I, I do remember, like, I, I can still hear it. I can still smell it. Um, you know, the the feeling of duck, duck, goose when you hit someone on the head, but you you know that, like, you probably hit them a little too hard, but you're a little kid and you're trying to get away with it. You know, like, <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, little oh, things yeah. like that. Uh, so yeah. duck, duck, goose. And then early um, sports memory, my and the, I, I once again, I don't know. Memory is such a funny thing, man. It's such a fickle thing. I don't it's know it. if this is my memory or if this is people retelling me the story and now it's become implanted as almost a false memory. But when I was a kid, you know, 90 Celtics, not great. It's the end of the Larry Bird era. Mm-hmm. Um, then after Larry Bird, it's it's all horrible. Reggie Lewis dies and all this stuff. But apparently when the Celtics were really bad, myself and my siblings, anytime they would score a basket, we would stand anytime, every single basket that the Celtics would score, we would stand up and run and scream and run around the room. So, I mean, there's what, 40, awesome. 35 to 40 made baskets in a basketball game. And just imagine this little like three-year-old yeah. kid acting like they won the championship every single time. That uh, That's why sports point. stick with people, man, because you have – you. Those moments, just you want those moments again, dude. And I mean, here I am, thirty-four years old, doing a podcast yeah. about the team that I was cheering for when I was three years old. Exactly. Comes full exactly. Circle. That's awesome. All right, Brian. Well, um, tell people one more time where they can where they can sign up or reach out to you if they want to learn more about your tale. Absolutely. So you can go to yourtale.co, y-o-u-r-t-a-l-e.co, not .com. Uh, and you can follow me. I'm most active on Instagram at I am Lonely Child, and Your Tale is also on Instagram at Your Tale Co. So Your Tale Co. And uh, yeah, I it really feels like I mean, music is obviously a passion of mine, but the the thing that's starting to feel like the most important thing is listening to people's stories. It's just there's like really nothing better to me. 
It's beautiful. And I like truly, man, I really appreciate you as a human being. I appreciate you coming on today to talk about it. Like I said, when I heard about your tale and I realized it was actually your thing, I was so excited because I, I, as much as I love basketball, I too love just talking to people. It's my favorite. That's why I have a podcast. I love making those connections with people. I'm glad we get to share this experience. And um, with that, everybody, we're going to play you out with new music from my band down here in Austin, Texas. This was actually mixed by... The man himself, Brian Ray, this one is called Get This High. Peace, everybody. Thank you so much. Every time I get this high, I lose my mind. It don't take much no more. Until I hit the floor. Every time I get this high, it's you I find. It don't take much no more. Until I'm at your door. Baby, what can I say? You got me on the floor, you know I came to play I know I shouldn't, but you seem to take my pain away And every time I score, Jason Tatum fade away I close my eyes and I'm floating your river I call to see if you open, you know I hope you deliver Every time you're getting close, I still be sick with the shivers But there's nothing like that first time I still remember the first time I saw you You were looking so fine, chill like lo-fi Watch you go by it was all I could do to say hi I still remember the first time I saw you You were looking so fine Chill like no fine all I did all I could do to stay high Oh, 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 oh Na, 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 oh Oh, 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 na, 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 na Oh, the feeling in my soul I call you my Hypnosis I'm gonna lose all control Baby, I cut myself to keep my devotion And it plays upon my mind Spilling blood with my heart wide open Baby, I'm Every time I get this high I lose my mind It don't take much no more Until I hit the floor